0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast to date is June 29th, 2022. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the majestic Simon Belanger. Today we're talking travel, man. And this was your idea. And I had an idea to do a deep-ish dive on Airbnb. So the stars have aligned. I think a lot of people just got travel on their mind just in general. So maybe that has something to do with it, but it should be a good one, my man. And we're noticing something very specific when I look at your charts in your segment here, is that there is a huge drop-off in revenue in 2020 it looks yeah. like the chart is it looks like the data is broken
1: yeah exactly the good old good old yeah. lockdowns right
0: exactly all right let's let's take it away i guess nothing else really to preface here let's get right into travel
1: Yeah, the reason I got the idea, well, first of all, obviously we're in summer, so that's kind of, that's why it came (laughs) to mind, but I think we were overdue because we talked a lot about travel when the pandemic started and what the impacts it had on companies like Air Canada. That's one of the ones we talked quite a bit for obvious reasons. You also talked about Vail Resorts quite a bit, mostly in our earnings, right? Looking at how it's going, but those are just two companies that may be good companies to keep an eye on to understand where the travel industry is at but it's much wider than that so I decided to look at seven companies that are a bit different in terms of the travel industry just to see how they're faring now the companies in questions one of them is one that you'll talk about it a bit more in detail Airbnb take care Airbnb So the returns since March 15, 2020 for all these companies, starting with Airbnb, it's minus 27%. Booking Holdings, ticker BKNG, returns of 64%. Cedar Fair, ticker FUN. Great ticker, by the way.
0: Ticker FUN. That's real?
1: That is real. That is real. Yeah. (laughs) I love that.
0: Actually, we've talked about this before.
1: We have talked uh, briefly about I remember about that. Cedar yeah,
0: it is ticker fun. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it was when they were getting really crushed at the beginning of the pandemic. So they yeah. had really the best return out of the group, 132% since, of course, uh, March 2020. Vale Resorts, ticker MTN, uh, returns of 60%. Air Canada, ticker AC.TO, 40%. Carnival Cruises, ticker CCL. Probably no surprise to you that it's down 11% since March of 2020. I'm actually surprised that it's only down 11%, I'll be honest here. And that's and the then, only
0: one that's down in this group too.
1: Yeah, yeah it is the only one. It's definitely the – well, actually Airbnb is down, but Airbnb would only be the return since its IPO in December of 2020, so I forgot to preface that. And then Marriott – Ticker MAR, it's been up 88% since March of 2020. So, we've overall, the returns, like you've just mentioned, it's been pretty good here for the travel industry since the pandemic started. And especially considering some of the recent pullback that we've had in the stock markets. Airbnb obviously is the worst performer, being down 27%, but I think personally it's a byproduct of the hype surrounding the Airbnb IPO and how growth stocks have been hammered, because Airbnb would definitely be in that category, and it's not necessarily a reflection of the business, but I will be interested in hearing what you have to say in your uh, semi-deep dive of Airbnb in terms of air canada we've looked at air canada pretty frequently with their earnings release and they're clearly still not back to their pre-pandemic levels one of the positives for air canada is their air cargo segment that has been steadily increasing since the pandemic started the same would go for vale resorts which we talked about quite a bit during our earnings episodes i won't touch on air canada and vale resorts all that much I'll just do a quick overview of Airbnb because you'll be going to more detail on them. So let's start here with Marriott. Again, take her M-A-R. So Marriott, when we look at their revenues, they're still not back to what they're pre-pandemic levels were so looking at 2019 they're about two-thirds roughly just looking at the chart that I pulled out from stratosphere.io however they have remained free cash flow positive during the pandemic on a full year basis and only had a small loss in 2020 so they really operated quite well I was surprised to see that when I looked at their financials to see that they remained free cash flow positive during the whole pandemic I thought they would have been bleeding money for sure. And for those who are not familiar with Marriott as a business, they own more than 8,000 properties worldwide in 139 different countries. I think that combined with their Bonvoy loyalty program, which they launched in 2019, Marriott should do pretty well this year because it's really encouraging people to book directly with them which allows them to get more revenue than a third party, like a bookings holding, Expedia, whichever one you want to think about. They didn't offer guidance for 2022. I did look in their year-end results for 2021. Usually that's when companies will provide guidance for the upcoming year because they're still not sure where it's going in terms of the pandemic. And I actually respect that quite a bit, that they would not provide any guidance. If you're not sure and you're just guessing as a management team, I'd rather no guidance and uh you know when you're able to provide it and give investors an actual better picture of what's coming up then do it but you in my opinion you don't have to.
0: Yeah, they get a pass there, right? Like <laughs> how are they supposed to know? And talking about their like profitability during that time, Marriott I don't know well, but the most or all of these chains run a pretty asset-light franchising model of their hotels. So that helps quite a bit for their actual financials. They, they've they kind of pivoted to that model entirely, and it makes them actually a lot better businesses, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I remember reading during the pandemic is they had leaned their staff quite a bit, right, during the the lockdowns because clearly they were affected as well. So I think you know I don't know the brand or the company all that well, but it really seems like one of the top hotel operators if you're going to invest in the hotel business. Now moving on to the next name, Cedar Fair of Gan ticker fun. Just have to re say it. It's it's too good. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Wonderland would be Cedar Fair. That's not Six Flags then. That would be a competitor, right?
1: Yeah. So Six Flags is a competitor. Six Flags actually runs uh, La Ronde in Montreal. Okay. So uh, Yeah. So there is a Canadian tie to both of them. They're both listed in the US. I wanted to take Cedar Fair. I could have taken Six Flags. I think it would have been pretty similar here. But clearly, I wanted to pick businesses that are in the leisure and travel, but a bit different kind of segments, if you'd like, right within the leisure and travel space.
0: And more pure play too, because like Disney, their parks is obviously a competitor too, but that doesn't give you a very clear picture given how diversified their business is.
1: Exactly. I I did think about Disney, but that's the reason I didn't choose them is because Disney has such a, you know, a more diversified business with Disney Plus and you also have their their movie business. So I figured Cedar Fair was a better indication and then obviously Carnival for the cruise. I could have used Disney as well for that, but I wanted some more pure plays. That's why. Yeah, I chose,
0: well, it's so, yeah. it's hard to say really too, right? Because you look at disney unless you break out the segments but some segments were exploding including like the streaming services and then the the park business was just nothing so it's probably yeah i like i was a good call i like it
1: okay awesome so you know, looking at their revenues, Cedar Fair's is almost back at pre-pandemic levels. And their recent quarters are trending really well compared to pre-pandemics in terms of revenue. And to me, that makes a whole lot of sense here that it's the best performing company of the whole bunch. It's in triple digits returns since March of 2020. Because, you know, you think about it, most of their business is actually done outdoors. So aside from the early on kind of panic that happened with the whole stock market in March 2020, I think, you know, most people quickly realized that they would probably bounce back much faster than other businesses in that same space mainly because you know as we got to know COVID-19 a bit better we knew that transmission the outdoors was far 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 less a lot less than indoors and obviously a company like Cedar Fair would make a whole lot of sense here they got Having said that, they got hammered in 2020 in terms of revenues, but it almost went straight back up to pre-pandemic levels last year. So you have to hand it to them. They've rebounded quite well.
0: Man, Canada's Wonderland is so underrated as like someone who just drives past it all the time. It's like one of those things where it's like the pools in your backyard and you don't want to pool anymore. It is the exact same thing. Dude, some of the best roller coasters – Or just in Canada's Wonderland, like some of those are insane roller coasters. That place is highly underrated. I'm not surprised that they're doing well again, like in terms of like Cedar Fair, the whole conglomerate, because people want to go do stuff. And I think it's also like something that people can do even when times are tough. Like they maybe they don't go on a vacation, and they bring the whole family to Wonderland. Just as an example. I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't have any real stats to back that up, but that could be a possibility.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I think probably happened for them is even as travel may have been restricted between countries or even between certain provinces and whatnot. I mean, it still remains that local people could have just decided to go there because they wanted to do something with the kids because That trip to Disneyland, for example, was out of the question. So the next best thing is going to Wonderland if you're in the GTA, right?
0: Yeah, totally. I get that.
1: Now, the next one here is booking holdings. So booking holdings is still lagging their pre-pandemic revenues levels by actually a pretty decent amount. I would say it's about two-thirds now of what they had pre-pandemic. Booking Holdings, for those who are not familiar with them, they own some of the world's biggest travel agency brands, including Booking.com, Priceline, Kayak, Open Table, and Agoda. Obviously, Open Table, I think, and a, Open Table is for booking some reservations that I'm familiar with. Agoda, I think, might be similar to that. Are you familiar with that one? Gonna say no while wow, Brayden is having some technical difficulties here, but booking holdings is a bit of a question mark for me because the competition has changed. A lot of their bookings have historically been hotels, but how much of that revenue will or won't come back to booking holdings and will go to an Airbnb, for example, remains to be seen. Or even in the case of Marriott that we just talked about, they are pushing their customers to book directly with them with their rewards program. So like I mentioned earlier, Bonvoy was launched in 2019 that's Marriott's rewards program. So it's relatively new. It was just before the pandemic, so it just had launched so it's hard to say the early impact it had, but if you have a Marriott pushing their customers to go and book directly with them if they want those rewards points, Well, they're bypassing bookings.com, and that's a loss in revenue. And Marriott is a massive hotel chain, so I think that's something to keep in mind. I don't know bookings extremely well, but I've been reading a bit more on it, and that tends to be the bear case here for booking holding, is that we don't really know where the business will be trending going forward. There's a lot of uncertainty.
0: Okay, yes, I am back. You know, when you try to take a sweater off and your arm gets caught and you decide to unplug your entire podcast setup? Yeah, that's what happened to me, (laughs) Simon. But I am back. I have used Agoda to answer your question. Agoda is really popular in Southeast Asia. So I used it quite extensively when I was traveling in Thailand. Think of Expedia, it is identical, but in terms of like, like for like competitor, but it's very popular in Southeast Asia. Now with booking holdings, if you look, yeah, like I have, I'm looking right on their revenue graph on stratosphere.io from 2012 to 2021. And it's not back like the rest of travel is, and it's really a tough scene because there's just so much competition. Now, If you look like from a domain authority perspective, and what I mean by that, I just mean like how high people rank for certain search terms on Google. Google Flights, for an example, would be a direct competitor to Booking Holdings Asset Kayak. Most of these digital booking experiences, no pun intended, originate from Google. And if you have to compete with Google yourself, that is not a good look for the biz, because I believe that most of these digital experiences do start on Google. And there is so much new introduced competition for these assets. I think it's an uphill battle for them. There are no switching costs. I can't think of any sort of switching costs. It feels completely commoditized, these types of digital booking experiences. They are all competing on price. It's it's the problem with investing in many travel businesses. Yeah. And this one is no different.
1: Yeah. And then you add in the fact like a Marriott, like I just talked about, where they put in these rewards program to create loyalty and, you know, really pushing their customers to come back and book directly with them to get those points, but also get better pricing. And especially as we see inflation ticked up, if people can get better pricing by booking directly with the Marriott or Hilton or whatever chain you're looking at, why wouldn't you do it? I know I've been looking whenever now we've been thinking of traveling I always check if I book directly with Air Canada or directly with the hotel to see if I'll actually get a better price. If I do, I will go directly with them.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Building loyalty in this business is everything from like a margin perspective, take rate perspective. You don't have to pay for those expensive Google clicks when they come direct traffic. It's so important for the business from a unit economic perspective and actual like top line sales perspective. But it's hard. Yeah. It's really damn hard. It's really hard. I. It's not something I would have any sort of insight on how to do better. It's a tough business. Yeah.
1: But at least Ameria, they have the assets, right? It's not like a commodity like you just mentioned. So they... are able to try and push that. Will it work? I don't know, but they actually have that option where I think it's not as sticky. I mean, whether I go to Bookings or Expedia, I don't really care, right? It's the one that will give me the best price.
0: Yep, makes sense.
1: Now, the next one, another one that's been hit really hard is Carnival Cruises. So this was clearly the hardest hit industry in the travel and leisure sector. They are about at 33% of their revenue compared to pre-pandemic levels. Their debt has tripled since the start of the pandemic. Honestly, it's hard to blame them here since they needed an infusion of capital to be able to stay afloat while their business was essentially shut down. And if I remember correctly, I didn't do the research here for that, but we had talked about it when the pandemic started. I'm pretty sure the debt, even though the interest rates were super low at the time in general, the debt that they got was high single digits, if I remember correctly, because the risk was so high. You remember that?
0: They took on a credit facility that was extremely spooky.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But they, I mean, you can't, again, you can't blame them because they they really- I
0: mean, get what you can get, right? Exactly.
1: They didn't really have a choice. So the good news here is that Karen revenues increased 50% in the second quarter of 2020 on a sequential basis, which is showing that things are improving. Here, you really want to look at a sequential basis or- Pre-pandemic levels, if you're trying to evaluate the business, how it's doing, it will give you absolutely nothing good if you're looking compared to last year 2020. Occupancy is trending up as well, 69% in the second quarter compared to 54% in Q1. Customer deposits increased 38% between May 31st and February 28th and 90% of their fleet is now in service. The last thing I I saw on their website when I was uh, doing this segment is that they are offering bookings with like something like $1 deposit. Something like that.
0: Uh, I've seen this. Yeah. Okay. So they've done this for a while though. They've done stuff like this.
1: But this is showing that they're really trying to encourage people. But I guess any way you can do it. But again, it just – And they
0: do things like 20 bucks and you can stay on the boat for another week. Yeah. Because they they just want to fill occupancy – like last minute, and they know that those people will spend money on the boat. That's so,
1: it. Yeah, exactly. But it just shows, I mean, obviously, they, they have to try things to get things back to normal, but it will also kind of fluctuate a bit more on their expected revenues. Obviously, this was just a high level of the recent result. I encourage anyone interested in Carnival Cruises to have a look. One of the things that jumps out is how the comparable year over year are comp- completely useless they had almost zero revenues like i mentioned last year carnival still has a long way to go here and i think it would apply to any of the other cruise companies when it comes to the pandemic and comfort level i think that's is one thing being on a ship People are still not to the same level when it comes to being around other people indoors. Some are very comfortable. I don't have any issues, but I know people that do, right? And this is clearly one where it's going to take a while, in my opinion, where the masses are really comfortable and really drives their revenue close to pre-pandemic level, because everyone's different. I know the mask mandates are no longer on, but there's still quite a few people that will wear masks. So you have to keep that in mind. Whereas some of the other travel and leisure plays, and I'm thinking here, Cedar Fair, they don't have that issue, right? Most of their activities are outside. Whereas you have a cruise company where, you know, you're on a boat with someone. Yes, there's a deck you can go outside, but for the most part, you'll be spending time inside. So I think it's going to take some time here for them to see a pickup in their revenues again.
0: Yeah, good point. And you and I have no real take on how people are acting here in, in 2022 from a perspective, mask, no mask. I know you and I don't really care at all, but many people do. And that's the way you got to think about the business, exactly. right? Like That's it. It's not, it's not if you or I care about if people are wearing masks or not. I personally wouldn't wear one for one second on a cruise ship, but that's just me. And a lot of people care about that stuff still. So yeah. You got to think of it as the business and an investor.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's the
0: reality, right? That's
1: it. And the point was not saying like, you know, is it, should you wear a mask or not? That that was besides (laughs) the point. And don't, don't, don't hear
0: what. (laughs) That's a venture we don't want to go down on this podcast. No,
1: exactly. So don't hear what we're not saying is really from a business standpoint, the reality is some people are still not comfortable going on a cruise that would have been pre-pandemic. I think that was my main point. Right. Yeah.
0: And I hear you. I know you. But just to <laughs> really iterate how this affects the business, because it's a goofy world. All right, shall we go to Airbnb?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: I have a semi deep dive on Airbnb. Is it a shot? We have a shallow dive. It's like a dive into like the pool where it says, "Don't dive." You're at the Marriott Hotel. It's like, "Don't dive," but you're like, "I'm still going <laughs> to dive." To the six-foot pool, you might break your head, but it's fine. Okay, so I'll make the history of Airbnb quick because this startup story has become a little cliche, and it's been talked about so much because it's so different and scrappy. But that's why it's a good story, and that's why people talk about it a lot. So I'm going to talk about it now. Now, Brian Chesky, who is the current CEO of the business, and Joe Gebbia. Had the idea of putting air mattresses in their place for some extra cash because they were broke. They moved to SF, they moved to San Francisco to try to make the tech entrepreneur dream come alive. And SF is an expensive area, man. Like I think Toronto's expensive. Hell no, SF's way more expensive. And they knew a conference was coming. So to get some extra cash, they posted. That you could stay on air mattresses in their place. And uh, they had two people go. They had two people stay there for 80 bucks each, which seems like a lot. Like that seems like a, quite a bit of money, 2008 USD. But hotels in SF are hundreds of dollars, sometimes 1,000 plus near the convention center. Like this is not an exp- this is not a cheap place. And so there they were. They were live as airbedandbreakfast.com which is such a long and shitty domain name, airbedandbreakfast.com, not called the company we know as Airbnb just yet. Now, they brought on a third founder, Nathan. Do you have any idea how to save this name? Nathan Bletchards? Oh, my gosh. I'm You're like looking at yeah. me you're like, don't, don't make me say don't this. Don't ask
1: me, especially while my <laughs> dog is barking. He's, he might be trying to, <laughs> to say the name. Yeah,
0: <laughs> The dog saying it in the back here. So Nathan, Nathan comes on and they worked on a roommate matching app. It was like Tinder for roommates and that failed. So back to, back to work on airbedandbreakfast.com. and And at this point, no one's using it. Like it's, they've, they've launched three times. They can't raise any money and uh, things aren't looking good. Now a fourth convention is coming and it is the 2008 Democratic Convention Center. And they made Obama O's and Captain McCain's <laughs> cereal. I've seen, You can look up the boxes. They're actually pretty clever. So <laughs> for the Democratic Convention, they made Obama O's and Captain McCain's cereal. Oh, yeah. Cereal.
1: I guess McCain was running against Obama at that point, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a long time ago. Yeah.
0: It's 08, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they sold $30,000 worth of cereal boxes, like pure profit, to pay off the company credit card, get some more money to keep bootstrapping airbedandbreakfast.com. Now, this scrappy move, this scrappy do things that don't scale, figure it out mentality got the attention of Paul Graham. Do you know who Paul Graham is?
1: No, I don't, know.
0: If you're not like in startup world, you probably don't know who he is. But if you are, everyone knows who he is. He's the founder of Y Combinator. And Y Combinator is the most well-known startup incubator in the world. They help startups go from zero to one in Silicon Valley and help them get initial investment. And now they're around the whole world, but like everything out there started in the Valley. I've heard Paul Graham talk about them and saying like they were just scrappy enough and they were just nuts enough they were just insane enough to think that other people staying in other people's house like ha- people staying in strangers homes was like just insane enough that it might work and so in 2009 they became Airbnb they secured 600k from Sequoia Capital and you know if you if you can get money from Sequoia you're going to get some resources not only to grow financially but also like the right mentorship the right people involved Fast forward a bunch, you know. So I'm moving 2009 all the way to 2020. The IPO, the market cap hits like a hundred billion at one point. Today, the market cap is sixty billion. So it's a big, big publicly traded company today. It was bigger, but everything tech got super priced up, and Airbnb's slipping since then. Now I got to talk about the business a little bit now. Any, Any comments here on this like hilariously ridiculous story and just insane enough that it might work type mentality?
1: No, no. uh, You reflected exactly what I mentioned when you were having a little bit of technical issues. And I gave a (laughs) brief overview of Airbnb and why they were probably down 27% more than Carnival Cruises, because I think there was a lot of hype around their IPO in December of 2020. And then you add that with uh, the whole tech pullback that we're seeing right now. I mean, you know probably the business better than i do but i don't think it's necessarily a reflection of the business it's probably more a reflection of the current environment
0: yeah it's valuations factors and stuff like that yep agreed all right so i'm going to bring up some facts data points and research on airbnb on stratosphere.io which we released last week for subscribers so if you type in abnb on stratosphere.io you'll get this so today 4 million hosts who have seen over 1 billion guest arrivals in 100,000 different cities and towns around the world is like a sense of the scale of what they've achieved. Trailing 12 months, they've had 338 million nights booked on the platform, which has finally surpassed that 2019 number in terms of nights booked. Gross booking volume, which I believe is their most important key performance indicator, or KPI over the past trailing 12 months is 53 billion for some context that has 10xed since 2014. Now two really unique trends that we track on Stratosphere for Airbnb is average daily booking rate which has increased significantly since 2019. I wonder if this normalizes, you know, in a recessionary environment people have less money to spend on vacations, but this just means that like average night booked on the platform has been creeping up and up and up. I think that's host flexing pricing power. I think it's people have lots of excess cash. It's probably a bit of both. Now, competitive advantages. They have three main competitive advantages that I can think of right now, which is unique experiences. You can't get like a glamping or some cabin in the woods type experience from a hotel. Like it's just really That's not an option. So if you want something unique, you go to Airbnb. And I say you go to Airbnb because they are the brand name. I don't care what kind of goodwill they throw on their balance sheet. I believe it. Right? Like This is such a household name. It has become a verb. They have just the largest network. And that brings you to network effects. They just have so much inventory for travelers to choose from. And that network effect has created a really robust rating system. And just a brand you can trust, even though you could have a bad experience, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go off the platform. In terms of competitors, Expedia has VRBO that has the most annoying commercials on TV I've ever seen, but they are the most formidable competitor. Do you know the stupid commercials you're watching hockey? It's I've like,
1: seen a few, but I haven't watched hockey all that much. This playoff, just uh, the last couple of games. but No Habs. Yeah, no Habs. <laughs> no Habs, <exactly>. no Hockey. <laughs> no Habs, love no it. Hockey, but no, I'm definitely familiar with VRBO. And that's why I, you know, I know they have slightly different business models when it comes to Expedia versus if we look at booking holdings. But that's why I would personally prefer Expedia because it has VRBO within its brand.
0: Yeah. And I believe it's the most formidable competitor, but it's not Airbnb from a brand perspective, from a mindshare perspective. Now, opportunities. Moving forward, experiences is a secular trend. And that doesn't even necessarily mean getting on a flight and flying to Greece for some Mykonos drunk for 14 days experience. It can be driving an hour and a half. To a really unique stay in an Airbnb. That is a secular trend that people are willing to spend money on. Now, another secular trend is people working from anywhere. It's not like work from home, it's work from anywhere. You know, say you do wanna work from Greece, you can. And so they are noticing, and Brian always calls it out on the calls, which is people are living on Airbnb. All around the world. And that is skewing in a major way. The average nights stayed in a booking because some people will just book for three months and be like, all right, I'm going to go live in Scottsdale, Arizona for three months, working golf every day. Or, you know, for you, you're going to go out West and you're going to mountain bike every day and work from anywhere. This is happening. It's happening all over the place. I know people who live on Airbnb. I know several people Who live on Airbnb? So yeah, I think that that's an interesting trend. And not only just from a business perspective, but just as like my own curiosity perspective. Now, last one, the company identified a $3 trillion total addressable market.
1: (laughs) Like over what time period? Like a year? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) I hope not. Yeah,
0: I know these TAMs get a bit ridiculous, but they do have a large TAM total addressable market. Which includes 1.8 trillion in short term stays and 210 in long term stays, and another 1.4 in experiences. I don't know what that experiences segment means, but I believe the long term stay and disrupting the longer term rental market is totally in the realm of possibilities for Airbnb. There needs to be that network effects type platform that has just rentals for long-term stays in general, because right now it's pretty fragmented.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure they're TAM, they're really looking at gross volumes, right? They're That's right. Yeah.
0: They're looking yeah. at GBV. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And I think this is a good thing just to put a kind of little asterisk here is when you ever look at companies and they have their total addressable markets, I always personally take that with a grain of salt just because oftentimes the companies will be very generous in their total addressable market right. and it's also very difficult to identify for the most part. We can just go back to the whole cannabis space that we've talked a bit recently. I think you know the total addressable market was wide ranging from one expert or one company to another. So just keep that in mind. I always take that with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah guessing in a legal market turning legal is just a guess. Yeah, that's a good point, right? And also a good point that it's it's gross booking volumes. So they would take a take rate of that. It would not be their top line revenue. Now risks, I mean, there is always bad experiences that can happen on Airbnb. So people might leave, you know, it's, it's uniquely managed from hosts. So it's like this aggregator that you know, people can have a bad time. There's the nightmare stories that people have heard about booking an Airbnb not only from hosts, but also guests. And now switching costs is, I think, the biggest risk among all travel businesses. I think you probably agree with that. Yeah. What's the stickiness, right? Maybe the network effect, but that doesn't make it enough of a headache to switch.
1: No, and I think VRBO is big enough that, you know, you can make a case that it may not have the same network effects, but it still has some... Uh, it's not like you're going to, if you're comparing to VRBO, where you're going to a platform that has zero options. Like they do have a right. decent amount of options on VRBO, not as many as Airbnb, but it's not like, you know, you would go to a Facebook competitor and it's like, okay, I have two friends on here right. and I have yeah. 500 yeah. on Facebook, right? It's not that. So I yeah. think that's a, that's a good point.
0: And switching costs. The risk of people switching to a book by direct model as well, right? It's not just switch to another platform. It's screw this, you know, I'm making a website, I'm going to market it myself, and I'm going to keep Airbnb out of the equation. They're not going to get their take rate, I'm not going to have to have them take a bunch of margin out, and maybe the unit economics of your entire rental business changes entirely, right? Like with those take rates. And so that's another trend that I'm seeing ongoing from people who are in the rental short-term vacation stays business is they love direct bookings
1: because
0: Airbnb doesn't get their take or VRBO or whatever company it is that gets their take
1: couple of notes here that you'll probably find funny so in back in 2013 i went to scandinavian europe if you'd like mostly in in sweden we stayed at an airbnb in sweden and i was there with a buddy of mine and we flipped a coin to see who would get the bed and who would sleep on the kind of couch that you know was able to become a bed as well and i lost so i got the couch but I actually came out a winner because the previous guest that had stayed at the Airbnb. Oh no. They had partied and they oh. broke the bed. One <laughs> of the I guess legs of the bed frame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was
1: like three quarters broken. Okay. So my buddy that was sleeping on there, I think it was, he was like. was just a on an in. angle? No, a week in the bed just like Oh, he just
0: collapsed.
1: Just collapsed.
0: Like while he's sleeping, I would be a heart attack.
1: Yeah, so while he was sleeping, so the owner was nice enough, so super nice guy. And uh, he came the next day and fixed it because he he obviously didn't know the guest just kind of. It was like hanging on the limb and the guests were able yeah, to yeah, put yeah. it there. But that's just one of the things is you never know what you're going to get sometimes in terms of quality, whereas, you know, a big hotel chain, that's usually the, the biggest advantage is, you know, there's consistency there. So that's probably one of the downsides. The other thing to what you mentioned is we've booked a cottage a couple of years ago using Airbnb. And we booked it for like a week, but then we, towards the end of the week, wanted to stay a couple extra days. So we just went to the owner. We're like, oh, you give us 5% off, we'll book an extra yep. two days. We'll enter transfer. No problem. So I can yep. see the owners trying to do that, especially if they have repeat customers say, hey, you are a good guest. I know I won't have the insurance associated with Airbnb, but I know you're a good guess. I'll give you 5% off or whatever it is if you book directly with me, kind of win-win situation. And probably the last risk I would add here is regulation. Because we've seen a lot of regulation, mostly on a municipal level, but I think on a provincial yep. or state level as well. There can be some really quick changes when it comes to short-term rentals for uh, local regulation, and that can definitely impact the number of listing that would go on Airbnb and VRBO, right? It's not, VRBO would not be exempt either.
0: And from a company perspective, like from a corporation perspective, managing those local laws around the world when your footprint has become global is really hard. And it's why it was, took so long for Uber to get in every place and break ground. I think they actually did such a good job of it, despite how much I dunk on that company. It's really hard to manage a bunch of different local regulation. It's not just a one size fits all. And that makes it really difficult to navigate your company.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure there's, uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure there's also legal implications for Airbnb if they operate in markets that they're not supposed to. So yeah, it it could be really tricky, definitely when it comes to that, because there's more and more places where I know certain buildings in Montreal, I think right next to the Bell Centre, it's pretty well known that like half of the units of a condo building is basically all Airbnb. All Airbnbs, Yeah. So the actual owners that live there oftentimes are not a fan that. of it exactly yeah. because you have a big turnaround, you have parties and stuff like that. So just yeah. something to keep in mind uh, for those interested in Airbnb.
0: And My Lake's a perfect example as I'm looking at it right now. People do do Airbnb like for their cottage, but technically the rate association says you're not allowed to. So I don't know. The laws on that? Like, what do you get? A slap on the wrist, a fine? Like, you're not going to jail, but like, what? I have no idea what the implications are. But there's a perfect example of some small lake that says you can't do it here, but some people still do. But I know that a lot of people have stopped doing it because of it.
1: Yeah, I I think the enforcement will vary from municipality to municipality. And I think that's it just gives a good example of the risk. You just don't really know what you're going to expect, which kind of sucks too if you're the owner. And you know, you may want to use a cottage, for example, half of the summer rented out, the other half. For those who don't want to invest in Airbnb but want to get a rental property like that, a short-term or vacation rental, make sure you do your research with the municipality cuz the regulation will vary widely.
0: Yeah, it's also risk as like a host perspective. If you like want to invest in making your own Airbnb, all of a sudden the rules change. You've dumped two and a half mil CapEx into this like extravagant Airbnb property. (laughs) Then what? Oh, God, that would suck.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: Happens all the time, I bet, too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, laws change and that's reality. So it's just something to keep in mind. I'm not an expert, but yeah, I've read enough on it to know that's a real risk.
0: All right, we've talked about Airbnb enough here. Do you want to just rifle off your last little segment here on thematic travel, if you want to get long travel?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we we don't talk. We talk about ETFs every now and then. We do have uh, definitely a bias that's favorable towards index broad based index ETFs. But I know some people. You know, we've been. Uh, People reach out to us and they will ask about thematic ETFs. And there are some for so many different teams. The one thing before I uh, talk about these three ETFs is keep in mind, whenever you're looking at a more thematic ETF, you'll typically look at higher management expense ratios or fees for the fund. So you'll see the ones I'll talk about there. Higher than fees that you'd see with like a S&P 500 index fund, for example, it's not that they're necessarily high in context. You have to keep in mind that thematic CTF, there is just usually a bit more active management involved in higher fees. That's normal. I would still say you know you want to probably avoid if that's something that interests you anything about 70 basis points I would probably stay away from and there are there is one here that's above that amount but I wanted to provide a few options so the first one here is ETF MG Travel Tech ETF the ticker is away it's listed in the US and this one has its top 10 holding. It's interesting. You have a pretty good wide variety and it's really focused on technology travel related. So you have names like Airbnb, Uber, Booking Holdings, Expedia, TripAdvisor, some of the other names I'm not super familiar with, but it just gives you that exposure to more the technology aspect. The management expense ratio is not low, but... It is interesting for someone who may not have sufficient funds to invest in even the top names of this company. And I I think that's where thematic CTFs can become very attractive is when someone has smaller sums of money and it gives them the option to get exposure to a wider theme without having to buy each individual company, which could take them years if they only have smaller funds.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I'm Surprised Live Nation's not in that, and I know it's not necessarily travel pure play because like concerts can be local as well, but it just seems like something so experience driven and it's a tech company. I'm just surprised. I thought it would be in there.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. I'm a bit surprised too now that you mention it. The next one is Defiance Cruise ETF, ticker Cruise CRUZ. This one has a management expense ratio of 45 basis points. And this one is definitely different. It's a travel reopening trade type of deal that they say on their fun facts. It invests in cruise lines, airlines, and hotels. So if you that's what you're looking for, this is the thematic ETF for you. Some of the names, pretty obvious, Norwegian Cruise Line, Royal Caribbean, Carnival, Marriott, Hilton, Delta Airlines, Southwest, Intercontinental, United Airlines, and American Airlines. So this is definitely a play. You don't want lockdowns to happen again because this one is going to be affected the most. But if you're looking to get exposure to kind of that theme, it could be interesting. And then the last one here, Harvest Travel and Leisure Index ETF. This is the only one that's listed in Toronto as a management expense ratio of 67 basis points. And this one, I think, is the one that I like the most in terms of diversity of holdings. So it really gives you a nice exposure to travel and leisure as a whole. It's not as specific as either the tech one or the hotel, airlines and cruises. So this one, the top 10 holdings, Airbnb at 10%, booking holdings at 10% as well, Marriott, Hilton, Southwest Airlines, Delta, Airlines, Caesar Entertainment, one that we haven't seen in the other ones, Expedia Group, Carnival, and Royal Caribbean Cruises. So it gives you, I think, some good mix of kind of tech play. You know, you have some cruises in there, some airlines. Again, really, if you're looking to get exposure, I'm not saying go ahead and buy these. It's just some example of ETFs for those looking to bet on the uh, travel and leisure sector, something to consider here. Obviously, always you your due diligence whenever you look at stocks to invest in or even ETFs, just make sure that you know what you invest in. But there's some interesting ones here.
0: Again, no Live Nation, which is no. very surprising.
1: <laughs> yeah, this one I would have been, I'm surprised it's not in there. Maybe it is in there and it's not in just, it's just not in the top 10 Not in the top things. 10. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And usually these things are like somewhat correlated to market cap. And so, because yeah, my surprised It's is not a
1: small company either, right? It would if be I'm the
0: working, biggest yeah, one I'm on this about. entire list in it terms is. of market cap, right? LYV, I think, is the ticker.
1: Uh, 20 billion, no. I. Don't oh, it's
0: only 20 billion market cap. Yeah.
1: But yeah, still. Airbnb is definitely bigger. But the top 10 holdings here, for those wondering, it's 63% of their portfolio. So, yeah. these make up two-thirds, pretty much, of the portfolio. So, this is what will give you the most exposure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's weird because Monopoly on Ticketmaster, which is like Monopoly. Sorry. They own Ticketmaster, which is Monopoly on concerts, all major sports leagues. Like a lot of people do that stuff when they travel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. This was awesome. Thanks so much for listening. My last thought here is. If you're investing in ETFs, I, I always say the best thing to do is go broad-based index ETFs, just like buy the S&P 500, TSX 60, whatever global ETF, pay next to no fees, and then you're off to the races. But sometimes you want like to just run with some specific secular trend. And I get that. Like I know people that do that for, for instance, cybersecurity. I they knew going to
1: mention that.
0: <laughs> and they're like, I, and they go, I, there's no way I ever get to a point where I know what CrowdStrike does. Like explain it to me 4 million times and I still don't know what CrowdStrike does. And even me, like I study the business relentlessly sometimes. And, and sometimes I like, this is so confusing. It's because it is confusing. Cybersecurity is confusing. And so I totally get that because, you know, you don't have to pick a name and, and try to run with it. Other than that, it's goofy, though.
1: Yeah, and you could do, too, like something to just food for thought. You know, maybe you just you don't want to invest in individual companies as a whole. So you do like Braden, you put most of it in broad-based index funds, and then you leave, let's say, 10-15% where you'll allocate more to thematic ETFs. So mm-hmm. there's something, you know, there's different ways to do it. It's more of a, obviously, personal preference. If you want more exposure to a specific sector or theme. These ETFs are good for that. But again, keep an eye on those fees.
0: Yeah, no, the fees are... You got to watch for those. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. We got some new podcast artwork coming out. You'll see a a version of our faces. (laughs) (laughs) I think it looks quite like you. I don't know. I'm not sold on if it looks like... You have like a huge bottom lip for some reason, like uh,
1: (laughs) like twice the size of normal humans. Yeah, it was kind of funny before. So we got some new artwork done, but uh, there was a bit of rework that we asked. And originally, our lips looked like we had lipstick on.
0: Like deep red lipstick on. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) The first run, I looked very tanned.
1: Yeah, yeah, you did.
0: Like I tan well in the summer, and I'm like I've got some some color going right now, but I'm white. Like,
1: <laughs> and it like, looked it looked like you dyed mistakenly your eyebrows black. A white guy. Remember, your eyebrows looked like they were dyed black.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So we've <laughs> we've made some changes. It's not perfect, but we're we're at a point where we're happy with it now. Uh, a couple fun little uh, revisions, to say the least. But I appreciate listening to the podcast. We've got some exciting news coming as well. Check out stratosphere.io. It is the all-in-one data platform for researching stocks. I've been just grinding on it lately. I hope you check it out. It is stratosphere.io. Go ahead, leave the show a review too as well. We don't ask that often for reviews, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts because that's where the reviews really come in. Apple Podcasts. If you're on that, leave us a nice review. We really appreciate you. Episodes are Mondays and Thursdays. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.